I got it. I got all the buttons. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod. Star date. I'm doing it all backwards tonight. 0526-2022. This is Star Trek Discovery Pod. Uh, Sometimes smart, not tonight. The smarts have left the building. (laughs) Kind of funny podcast about new and classic Star Trek. I'm your captain for this evening, Mariah Gossett. And with me on the view screen, we have... Clyde Haynes. Keyless Lloyd. Welcome, Keyless. We're so excited to have you join us this evening. Um, you are our guest for the night. Uh, Keyless is a disabled author, artist, uh, science fiction enthusiast who is always interested in discussing disability in media. You can find them on Twitter at, is there a pronunciation of your at? Tadon Dadir. Tadon Dadir. All right. Um, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten that one. I know I was about to just spell it, but it's on the screen. If you are watching us live, which I hope you are, if you're tuning in uh, to the audio podcast, you can find links to follow them on the show description. We're so excited to have you Keyless. And before we kind of dive into it, I would love to ask you a little bit about your fan history, your first Trek memory, maybe, um, and tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Okay, so my first Trek memory is actually the premiere of The Next Generation. Dad sat me down with it because he was excited. He was a fan of the classic series. And he had me, as the ship zoomed across the screen, he had me dodging it. And we continued that tradition throughout the run of TNG because I was small and very easily amused. That sounds fun. Is it like, do you remember at movie theaters where there was like the fake roller coaster? If you went to like a, a, a Regal Cinemas and you'd all like yes. do like you're in the fake pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were dodging and yep, exactly. Super fun. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your writing and where people can find that? Yeah, I write sci-fi and fantasy, speculative literature, basically. Um, I have, my my publications are actually still forthcoming, but I have sold, sold stories uh, I'm going to have a short story in Shacklebound Books' Worms Anthology. And when ATB Publications puts out their Deep Space Nine essay anthology, I have an essay in there on Melora, the episode about the alien who was disabled because of low gravity. Amazing. That's so exciting. Well, yeah, we will definitely retweet. Um, let us know when that comes out because that sounds really exciting. I know we've got quite a few Deep Space Nine fans in our community. Um, and I, I also enjoy Deep Space Nine. So I'm excited to check that out. But there are a few things, housekeeping things. Clyde, can you tell people how they can interact with us tonight during the live stream? Well, if you're live with us on YouTube or wherever you watch us live, then you can simply just chat with us by if you want us to see what you're writing comment on it then just type capital p capital o capital d capital pod in the chat um, and we'll take a look at your comment now if you happen to have a particular interesting take on the show and when we get to that part you'll know what we're talking about then we just ask that you type capital h capital f capital hf before your your take and we will take a look Amazing. Yes. And you can find links to all of our Patreons, how to join us on Slack. You can find links to all our social media uh, at StarTrekPod.co. All right. Are you guys ready? Let's start this hunt for the red Gorn-tober, if you will. (laughs) I'm sorry. I really tried to do a Sean Connery accident and that did not work out at all for me. (laughs) Because I got stuck on Gorntober. Because you got to do that oct when it's Sean Connery. The hunt for the red October. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This week's episode is entitled Memento Mori. It was directed by Dan Liu. Written by Davey Perez and Bao DeMeo. Um, And I think we're getting ready to perhaps have some of those. Some hot freaks. All right, y'all, who wants to go first? Who's got a a hot freak they'd like to share with us tonight? Clyde, do you want to jump in? Sure, I'll jump in. Um, So most of you know that we we got a few. We got five uh, episode screeners in advance. And so while I couldn't tell anyone what I had seen, I got a lot of people asking me, what did you think? And early on, I kept telling everybody, I, I, I'm really excited. I said, it's really good. But the fourth episode, 
is one of my favorite episodes of all time. And they were like, really? It's like, no, 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 listen to me. The, the, the series I'm all for, but the fourth episode. So I've been waiting for everyone else to catch up to this episode because I loved it. Um, Mariah, you know how much I love space fighting. Right, so much ship space to ship combs. There was so much ship to ship combat. We got a pike maneuver. There was mystery. The Gorn. I, I mean, we always talk about having a really good villain, having someone that is is compelling and interesting. And kudos to the Star Trek team again for giving us something that is not only super rooted in canon, but we know so very little about. So I'm I'm in intrigued and excited um and so again when we get this you know this episode not this episode this series does a really good job of marrying the episodic approach with the this character driven narrative and so i feel like i keep getting to know more and more whether it's about himmer or uhura and i mean what they're doing with the uhura character is phenomenal um I mean, I'm just hats off to the team of giving this. I show up every Thursday excited um, and I've seen the first five episodes like this is the first thing I'm trying to watch every day and I've already seen it. Um, so, again, I'm I'm loving it. Amazing. How about you, Keyless? Um, I think I think a lot of episodic Star Trek has trouble creating tension through the episode because you don't know that anything will carry over. I think this episode did that really well. You could feel the pressure. You could feel the danger. You could feel the weight of Laon's background pressing in and what she knew and how she was fighting through it to communicate effectively what the threat was, where the danger was, and how to deal with it. It was really good. And I like the fact that they allowed her to be traumatized without lingering on it. Like, she... It was clear she was traumatized. It was clear she has some work to do there, but she also made some steps to get through it. And I appreciated that. I I do love what they're doing with Ahura. I'm not sure I'm completely sold on Hemmer yet, but Ahura's part in not just finding a commonality between communications and, and engineering, but jumping to the challenge was really fantastic. I think, La'an and Ahura were the standout characters this episode. Yeah, I agree. I really enjoyed La'an and Ahura. I also think this was like such a fun uh, bridge, uh, like teamwork episode. I know Clyde and I share our love of the team ups whenever that's happening. And I could really feel the gelling of like, uh, of Ortegas and Pike's relationship and just like the the continual side eye from Ortegas whenever Spock would say something is like probably going to kill them and Pike's like great let's do it um, and and it felt very like all of the best parts of TOS with less of the bad parts of TOS which I really enjoy um, I love thrillers I love um submarine military style uh, thriller movies, which is a lot of the inspiration of the original series was drawn from after like cold war tensions. And so I felt like this was such a beautiful nod to a lot of those original inspirations to the series. And uh, I'm also a big horror fan and like not showing the Gorn was such classic, beautiful horror technique of just like your mind is going to make up something 10 times more terrifying than anything they're going to put on the screen. Um, so yeah, this was so far my favorite episode that we've seen of the series. And I'm just like really excited to, to continue from here forward. You know, there are, Things as always you can knit and pick and I hope we can discuss a lot of that stuff and I think but overall this was like the momentum I wanted to see from this and I'm really excited that we get the Gorn as sort of our big bad setup for the season. Yeah, I, I love the sound effects, right? Oh. When Fig started talking about and it just make this clicking sound. The way they did that was like I felt it. Again, and I've seen it. <laughs> so I felt it. I was like, oh, my goodness. Um, I can't imagine what someone who hasn't seen any Trek 
who who c- truly does not know what a Gorn looks like in any way, shape, or form what they're thinking. I- I've seen enough Trek that I have an idea of what a Gorn, and I feel like I shouldn't even say. I should just allow people to be experience this on their own. But I thought the sound effects were amazing. A hundred percent. I think the sound design and also I've really been enjoying the music this season. There's some like really beautiful nods again to like classic Trek instrumentation, but remixed into this new identity. And like the moment when Spock hits the button to empty out the, um, the bay that's like an old trek sound effect and i was just like oh i'm so glad they've kept like those little weird jewel buttons and like all of these things that are still like updated to the correct century of special effects but have these like really wonderful nerdy deep dive references throughout the whole series um let's see what's been going on in the chat here we have bart without saying it you could totally see pike thinking about his ultimate fate first when the column uh, colonist mentioned radiation and second when he knew he might lose people below decks. Um, yeah, I'm going to put a pin in that because I definitely want to discuss um, the the Pike knowing his future situation and what happens when that is playing a role in his decision making. Um, Kuhn says, Pod, I'm wondering if all the acclaim for Strange New World is getting will cause them to scale back on the serialization in the other shows. I don't think so because I think it's like each show does what it does. Right. And I think that there is now there's literally a Trek for everyone. And so you can kind of pick what your preference is. Like, do you want like a really big puzzle box drama series? You've got discovery. Do you want lower decks humor where you're watching a Gorn wedding instead of Gorns dragging people through bloody trails? You've got lower decks. Anyway, what did y'all think? Yeah, yeah I'll I, ju- oh, go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead, Kelise. Um, I don't think it will change the serialization of the other shows. I, don't, I think I think it's been pretty clear that this is for the people who want the episodic, whereas they're going with a lot of serialization for the others. Yeah, I, I agree. I definitely think we're getting a little bit of of something for everyone. Um, I'm here for it, it the, the, and I I think we needed it, right? Um, I think we needed it because when you look at particularly disco and Picard it, it's a it's a bit of a I don't want to I mean it's a lot right like it's it, especially when I think about discovery discovery feels like when when an episode one ends they pick up episode two at the same scene right there's not like a continuation it's like you know a week has passed a lot of times it feels like I don't know 30 seconds have passed and so it feels like this super long movie sometimes, and it's like, okay, I got to reorient, I got to reorient where I, where I was. Whereas this feels like, oh, we're picking up, and it's a brand new story. Um, and a friend of mine once said, the thing that this gives us that we haven't had in a very long time is if I miss an episode, it's not the end of the world. Um. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think with streaming, it's hard to miss an episode. But I feel like what we're going to find is that we may pick up people in seasons two mm-hmm. or three that that don't feel like they have to go back. Because I know that there are people with Disco that they watch the first season and because they fell behind in season two, they feel like they can't jump in. Yeah, that's a valid, valid point. Um, Takako says, I like how they dealt with the red shirt deaths. They are still unnamed, but Pike acknowledged their loss on screen instead of forgetting that they died earlier in the episode. A hundred percent. I definitely want to talk about that. Um, and Caitlin asks, I did want to ask if you think the writers sometimes have Ortega to maybe more characters say things that they might, that might not be things that would be considered appropriate for the bridge. I mean, this feels like a crew that knows each other really well. This isn't like their first voyage out together. But what do y'all think about that? I think it's based on the captain. I think they're getting their feedback from their captain. They've been invited to dinners with him. They're a bit more relaxed. On the other bridge, I think they would behave more the way those captains want. But Ortega's responding to Pike here, I think. Yeah, I I agree with that. I think... um when I look back at, at previous captains, right. When I think back to, you know, particularly Picard and Janeway had a fairly formal bridge, Mm -hmm. right? Like it was very, very by the book. 
when I think about Cisco, Cisco was a little bit more familiar, right? So when I think about Kira felt like she could almost always say something that was borderline inappropriate, right? And we know that Bashir always was constantly saying something inappropriate. <laughs> so it just it felt like like I think you're 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 spot on when you say, you know, your captain kind of sets the tone. And I think when we see Pike, Pike is kind of like, hey, I want everybody to be able to speak their mind. Like, don't hold your tongue. We're in this together. And so I think Ortegas is someone who embodies that, right? Because it's not disrespectful, but it, like she's also a bit of the voice of the viewer, right? Like, didn't you just say that <laughs> this was a bad idea? So. I mean, it's, you know, you you got to have that person who's willing to ask the question one more time to be like, are we sure? Like, <laughs> before we do this thing, that's potentially going to crush all of us in a giant wormhole in space. Let's maybe check in one more time. I, I dig it because I'm usually the one in that situation who goes, hey, I just I want to raise my hand and just like for the record, I think this is a bad idea. Like, I'll do it. But I feel like somebody needs to say, somebody should have said this. I'm going to be the guy. This is a bad idea. All right, let's go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, Marge says, hot freight. Glad they didn't show the Gorn yet. The clicking sounds and the light signals are an effective characteristic. Yes. I. Um, that's definitely, I think we'll start there. I wanted to ask y'all, do you think not seeing the Gorn makes them scarier at this I point? Do. I absolutely do. And again, like, because here's the deal. Like, we, we, it's interesting because from a Gorn standpoint, I've really, you've really seen them in, in a couple places. They've shown up in, in Star Trek video games because, yes, I'm a nerd. And they were in the, the original series. So, from that standpoint, we haven't seen them in like, they've showed like, up in lower decks technically. And they've also in a mirror episode of Enterprise. Okay. Um, it's just, it feels like we haven't really seen them. And, and if, if you think about things like discovery, discovery for the most part, completely redesigned a Klingon, right? Mm -hmm. And so while we like, we haven't seen them, it is scary because we have no idea what they're going to look like, right? We have, we really have no idea what's going to happen here. Um, and it's just this thing. It's, it's kind of like a, a thing in the shadow. Like it's, I think it's I think it's terrifying actually. So yeah. What about you, Keyless? I think it adds a lot more suspense, but I think it also puts a lot of pressure on the makeup artists and the designers who are going to show us the Gorn eventually, because they have to. Like they can't keep them in the shadows the whole time. So it's gonna be very interesting what they come up with. Yeah, I'm hoping I, I, I want this to get teased out a little bit, but I do want the reveal at some point, right? There's a reason why like in Jaws, we we eventually see the shark within the first act of the movie, right? Like we don't only have the shadow and fin for too long. Um, we need that reveal to sort of like move us forward. So I'm hoping we get to that point. I um I really enjoyed the ship design as well for the Gorn. This is the first time we are seeing kind of ships. And so they were very unique. They sort of remind me a bit of the Kelvin verse, like kind of Romulan esque mm. ships that we get. Um, but yeah, I was fascinated by like the shapes that they chose. Um, yeah. I want to, I want to add a couple of things. Um, my worry, my only worry about them not showing is I feel like they waited too long to, to give us Spock in discovery. Right. I feel like we like it got to the point where they kept talking about him and talking about him and it almost became a joke. Right. Like, oh, we're never going to see him like it. Like, I felt like they held on to that too long. So I don't want them to do that here. And their track record is, is a wait and see. OK. Um, when I looked at the ship, because in my head, they're massive. The Gorner, they're big. The ship seems small. Like the the smaller ships seem small for for the 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 fear and stature that they are in my head. That's the only thing. I thought they were cool, but I was just like I expected the, the ships to be bigger. Hmm. Yeah, I mean that big main ship was pretty large. It was massive, yes. Um, the smaller ones were definitely, but like who knows how many people are or how many Gorns I guess <laughs> are on the smaller ships. <laughs> 
Um, I did want to talk about, I mean, the main sort of um, backstory, right? We're sort of getting these backstories of these characters we haven't gotten backstories for before. We've had, you know, the the Una episode, and now this is the Laon episode. And um, we get a, a glimpse of sort of her terrifying childhood on this Gorn breeding planet situation. And she's having flashbacks of her brother and sort of has this intense mind meld situation with Spock, where now she also knows a secret about Spock, which I think is an interesting setup um, for the two of them. What did y'all think of uh, Leon's backstory as it was sort of uh, revealed to us this episode? I think it was pretty heavily foreshadowed so none of it was really unexpected i do find it interesting that her brother found the time in there to figure out the lights when you know they were being hunted the entire time so i really like a little bit more about him in the future possibly even because there has to be something really impressive going on there that he was able to figure out a whole foreign coded language well in that life or death situation mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm i love a good backstory um especially in the first season um because i think we're setting up the characters and what you're doing is you're making me care about leon um and i think her character is going to be important not only is she a security officer there's this whole dynamic of her being kind of third in command which feels a little bit odd when Spock is there and we, you know, we just kind of see Spock as, you know, the, the ultimate number one. So I think what they're doing is they're helping us understand how, why she's important, why she's significant. And I need that. And I want, you know, I, I want to know more about kind of the rest of the bridge crew, right? We're, we're getting little bits and pieces, you know, we got a little bit of piece of Mbenga um, I want more. I, I want to know more about Chapel, right? We're we're pulling these threads, whether it's Hemmer. Um, I think we we know more about probably Una and Uhura than we know about anybody else. Um, so so there's some things there. The and I don't even know what it what it is. The the, the transporter chief who seems really squirrely and scared of everything and <laughs> almost died this episode. Um, like, I, what'd you say his name was? I need to even know his name. Kyle, I believe. Yeah, Kyle. Kyle. Um, yeah, we we got you know we got to flesh Kyle out a little bit more because right now, um, if Kyle gets caught up in a transporter accident, I'm not gonna be upset right now. Um, so yeah, I liked I liked it. Um, and I like the fact that not only did we get some of her backstory, but Spock's backstory bled in. And it's making me feel like this whole discovery thing is going to be the worst kept secret amongst a, a group of people. <laughs> and I'm kind of for that, right? It's, it's, it's like we're reshaping the canon without actually trying to reshape the canon. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I really enjoy that we got a little bit of that bonding moment between Leon and, um, and Spock. And I also think it's fun seeing a uh, young Spock and in the same way that we get to see younger Ahura and like how they're sort of developing into the iconic characters that we've come to know and, and love, like take a shot every time Spock says censor, like, <laughs> um, and then the way he's sort of figuring out how to balance all of this and um, how he approaches, you know, he's learning how he's going to approach logic as Spock, which I, I also find really endearing and interesting um i wanted to talk a little bit about um pike's situation where is he leaning too much on this idea that he supposedly knows his future right and he can see that he lives his life to a certain point and then something happens and he knows when that thing happens that changes the way he has to live his life and so when he's doing things like the enterprise will hold <laughs> and like uh, that's basically a suicide mission do you think he's adding a lot of risk to his crew because he thinks he knows the ultimate uh like future i get this sorry no, go ahead. Go ahead. Jump in. 
I get the sense that he's always been a bit of a maverick. Like no one seems shocked that he made that order. So I think this probably lines up with his usual attitude, especially because everyone was shocked in the initial one or two episodes that he was holding back so much and he was nervous. So I think this is closer to what they see as his normal self. Yeah, I, I got to agree. I think um, he he does seem like the right combination to me of Kirk and Picard, right? Like he's giving these incredible speeches, right? Like he's he's just so uh, inspiring. Like he's so inspiring, but he's also a maverick. Like to me, if we, if we're trying to figure out where Kirk got some of his swag and his willingness to bend the rules and do his own thing like we're looking at his mentor right here and so uh, i think this is just kind of who he is and and so no i don't think that he's you know playing fast and loose with with everyone's life because he knows his his sell-by date i think it's more or less this is kind of who he is and this is who he was going to be regardless Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm I did think this is an interesting point by Bart. Um, I think it's also a writing mechanism to make sure the Enterprise is also a primary character in the show. And I would have to agree because, um, you know, the ship is the Enterprise is the thing that's carried us through so many Trek shows at this point that it has to have this sort of like larger than life capability than I think we would normally put on a typical ship. Um so I think there, there is something interesting there. I also saw someone, Stress VK, said the Enterprise is also a science vessel, so it should be built to explore harsher conditions than some of the Gorn ships. And I do think that's an interesting point. Hey, Mariah, let me ask you a question because this <laughs> just kind of came to me. Uh, so I uh, was watching Better Call Saul the other day. I know this is a tangential <laughs> reference, but um was watching Better Call Saul. For those of you listening who don't know, Better Call Saul is a prequel to Breaking Bad. And so the thing that is fascinating to me about prequels in general is that when you bring in some key characters from the original series, you, you they're kind of super, they're superheroes, right? And the mm-hmm. fact that you know they won't die, right? You kind of know, oh, they're going to be okay. Do you get a sense that with Ohura, some of that tension is lost when she's put in some of these, these situations? Mm-hmm. Because you know she's gonna make it, right? So when they're blowing out the main cargo bay, you're not you're not thinking, is she gonna make it, right? You're kind of questioning, you know. You think it's too early to write him or off, but it's possible, I guess. But you know she's gonna be okay. And likewise, when they were on the planet, you knew she wasn't gonna, you know, pull a Sam Kirk and touch that thing and get blown to bits. But I mean, I think that tension is is there and not there for any uh i would say for almost all star trek and almost all all shows right like you have your core cast and if you're really going to get rid of someone like that's a pretty big buildup. but nonetheless you're going to see them have to go through some trials and tribulations as their character so while we do know the eventual like features for spock and ahura and some of these legacy characters that are in the show i still am like fascinated by what they have to go through and i think i was almost more invested in pike's emotional journey because when you saw like i mean anson mount did an incredible job of 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 displaying i'm sorry did you say handsome mount i I said his real name anson mount but you know that that also works (laughs) but it's the uh, eyes it's the eyes and the hair swoosh that hair like that has to have insurance on that hair swoosh um (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I think it's like I am along for the emotional journey with the characters and and I try I try my best to forget that I know that what's gonna happen to them because I just I want to see it actually happen to them. Does that make sense? It, it does to me because I, I think what you're what I'm hearing you say is you're not so much focused on the end result. you're enjoying the journey. Yeah, hundred percent. Right, and and their journey, and I think for us, someone mentioned in the chat, like we 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 get to see Uhura on these rotations. Mm-hmm. We're getting to understand how she became who she is, and that is worth watching. Like that that is worth tuning into this, right? I don't know that we're getting quite that with Spock because I feel like we've gotten so much Spock 
over the last 50 years. We got in the last spot. This is a little, this is different. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. And I also have to agree that, you know, we don't talk about this enough. The Enterprise is a primary character. The ship is a primary character. And the evolution or really the genesis of this character is is fascinating and important, right? And hard to do because technology has changed so much since the original series. It's like, how do you show the coolness of a ship without it being like, man, I didn't have that. <laughs> yeah you know how you gonna have that and then not have it for Kurt, right so yeah i also i also think the value of a prequel is that journey that we were talking about that it's we know the end point but we want to see them get there like the steps in between are what matter with them the other characters i mean considering what we've seen in modern track with some of the characters being killed off pretty fast. They're always there. I'm sorry. I've got discovery spoilers here, but like Commander Landry and Iram and stuff, they were taken out pretty fast. And I think that that adds some of the tension in an almost artificial way, if that makes sense. Because I want to see all of their journeys and not just the ones that we know survive. Yeah, I think I, I think you're hitting it, but I think I'm feeling what you're saying. Kyle's not long for this ship, so don't get invested oh, Kyle. in Kyle. Kyle's no, out there. He's he walks around Kyle in a red a shirt, US man. Character, though? I'm pretty sure Kyle is transporter chief Kyle from the original series. All right. Yeah. I think, it, yeah. I think he gets to survive. He does. He's <laughs> walking around in that red shirt, making me nervous. <laughs> Hey, this is an equal opportunity enterprise. All all shirts are up for grabs as far as it looks like. I mean, like. poor blue shirt got blown out of. The, I mean, that was I know tra- tragic. I saw as soon as we lingered on him a little too long in the hallway walkway scenes. I was like, oof, this is not going to be I, yeah, a good okay. episode for you. I, I'm going to be honest. Like, here's the thing: you mentioned horror, Mariah, right? So there are rules you follow. Okay, mm-hmm. if you are running. And you fall, you're gone. It's over. Like, like, so the minute he fell, I was like, Kyle, keep going. Like, you gotta don't go don't, don't get taken out with him. Cause he fell. He broke the rules. You don't fall. And so you um, fall, your shoes untied, you think you're go, hiding in a good place. You hear a noise and go check it out. Don't do that stuff. Even to the, like the um, there was some really fun like little horror elements like when Laan is looking out that port and like sees the ship coming and then it's from the ship's perspective coming from the killer's perspective is such a horror thing. Mm. And so I was just like, ooh, there's like some really fun little little nods here. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think Una also violated a survival rule, though, because she was hiding injuries. And normally if you hide injuries, you're doomed there as well. But luckily, she's an Aurelian, so she has <laughs> um, super strength. And luckily, Omega was like, uh, here's my blood <laughs> so that you can survive. Um, I did really enjoy a lot of the cut, like kind of the D story, if you will, um, about Nurse Chapel and uh, Umbega's like sort of solution to triaging without having access to different things and like the ancient art of having to um, like s- essentially stitch people back together. Um, I thought that was like kind of some, f- some fun nods, not only their ingenuity as like the, the characters, um, but also like seeing how they sort of dealt with that whole situation. Well, you know, it, I think Star Trek has always done this kind of tongue-in-cheek thing when they talk about medicine and they refer to medicine that is reflective of where we are today. Um, they, it's, it's, it always happens in some form or fashion, whether it's on a planet or something. So the whole, didn't I hear that you were interested in archaeological medicine? Like, that was like, okay, there we go. Got it out early. Episode four. Bring it. I'm expecting at least three more references before the end of the season. Um, so I thought it was fun. Like, I, I think this was for, for this to be a, a kind of a scary, tense space opera battle episode. It had some some light moments that I enjoyed. hundred mm-hmm. mm-hmm. percent. 
Um, I also wanted to talk about the concept of the kind of the Gorn as a whole, because, um, you know, I, uh, Leon makes that sort of speech when they're in the ready room talking about how like Starfleet believes if you can get to know your biggest villains, eventually you can figure out a way to find commonality and move forward um, and, and create a relationship. And so I thought it was interesting that she's just like the Gorn are monsters. And even in some of the, I don't know if y'all watch like the, the ready room with Will Wheaton, but even the showrunners were talking about how the Gorn are one of the few things in Star Trek that even Gene Roddenberry put forward. that They're just pure monsters. And like the idea that there are still pure monsters in the world and what that kind of does to this sort of idealized version of Trek, right? Like all these combinations of diversity, but there's still going to be uh, a concept of the, the biggest evil, right? And, and what do y'all think about that placement into Trek and what it could possibly mean for, for the series going forward. I mean, while Trek has humanized a lot of its villain races, we still have the Borg and then there are the Hurrigan in Voyager that just hunted people for fun. There was no redemption for them. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the Dominion ever really got any sort of redemption. We understood where the, what was going on with the Vorda and the Jem'Hadar, of course, but not the founders. So I think this is pretty traditional as far as Star Trek goes to give us a villain that doesn't have depth. But mm -hmm. also traditional is, you know, introducing a villain and later giving them death, like the Klingons and the Ferengi and stuff. So, I mean, and technically with the you know, spoilers, but like this latest season of Picard is like we eventually get the Borg with a heart, right? Because we have this alternate timeline of the Borg who who have to figure out a way to cooperate, right? If, if it's just one hive, I'm wondering if it's now like yeah. the... Borgati and the OG Borg. And like there are two hives that are going to be going on. But true. True. I, I think if I had to guess, the Gorn is going to be the monsters for a while. But based on some things that I've, I've seen, you know, in Star Trek S video games and stuff like that, there'll, there'll be some, uh, understanding i mean you, you, one of the things i think that we love is when we see the enemy's backstory and we kind of understand a little bit more about them so that they're not just a pure evil bad guy right but there's something like okay i, I kind of understand a little bit about them and they're a little bit compelling I think we'll get a little bit about that, about the Gorn, right? Because I think that's what happened with the Klingons, right? They started off as a very, like, the the bad guys, right? Romulans, too. And as the, you know, the Star Trek universe progressed, we started to understand. Um, and I think one of the things that it does, and I'm expecting this to happen for the Gorn as well, is it challenges our, perspe our perspective on other culture. Right. Because I think that's what the Klingons really brought us was this mm -hmm. sense of like they seem barbaric to us. And when you understand that culturally there were things in there that were very important to them and part of who they were, that it almost forced you to question like, OK, well, why do I get to pass judgment on their culture? Right. Because I don't understand it because I don't want to drink blood wine. Right. Mm -hmm. Um and I think similarly with the Romulans, right? And starting to understand, oh, well, there's this whole dynamic between them and, and the Vulcans. The Borgs are a little different. And so I think that this is going to, I think the Gorn are going to be much closer to the evolution of the Klingons um, than, say, the Borg. Hmm. Although Kuhn makes a, a, a good point about they can't soften Always the Gorn does. too much because we've still got them in arena acting pretty aggressively. <laughs> which yeah. is true. <laughs> yeah. I, and I also think that, you know, there's an opportunity here. So we, we have to think about this in terms of the entire landscape. I wouldn't necessarily see them softening in this, but it opens the door for us to see them in discovery and or Picard later. Right. Um, and seeing something different, like, we're always talking about aliens that we want to see reappear in discovery. The Gorn showing up would be fascinating. That would be super interesting. I also think they don't need to soften them to bring depth to them. 
like they can give us cultural context and still have them be terrifying hunters of people. That's very true. And I'll, I'll have to double check this one, but stress VK says, apparently the Gorn also destroyed all of subspace in disco's future. So maybe they are just the nuisance of all universes. <laughs> sure. Which is possible. Um, I did want to talk about um, Hemmer and Uhura in um, sort of their relationship in this episode. I think there's some really nice sort of mentor mentee sort of happening and that they find this very, beautiful mutual respect for each other, especially at the end when Hemmer is like, you know, in my belief system, um, you know, we're all here to serve a purpose. And so when you die, it's because you have served that purpose, which I think is a really beautiful way to, to kind of contextualize death um, for his character. Um, and, you know, I think then you do see a her kind of have that moment of like, well, then what is my purpose, which is such a scary question <laughs> for I mean, of anyone of any age, let alone, um, you know, a young cadet who's trying to, like, figure this out. Um, what did you think about that, Keyless? I think the mentor-mentee relationship there was really interesting. I also find the choice of Hemmer as the one there to be interesting. Um, so if we delve a little bit into disability here. Mm -hmm. 100%. The fact that as an ANR, he doesn't need any accessibility options. Like, that's not so cool. But also, if Ahura had been the one injured instead, and he needed her help, because maybe the disability accessibility options weren't working, mm -hmm. if, if there was some way they could have collaborated more tapping into the fact that he's blind, I would have really appreciated that. Instead, they injured his hands when he's already he's already disabled. Like, not in his view, mm -hmm. because he has the magical abilities that overcome it. But I think more of a collaboration where it was actually about his inherent disability would have been interesting. Yeah, I wish they would explain more about like how the ship is more accessible or like what they do to make it accessible for him because it seems like there's something with the touch interface that seems to work for him and that's like the the way that it's made more accessible. So it would have been yeah, more interesting if he was just like oh, like instead of it just being the hand that it is like the like you were saying, like the touch interface isn't working for me to be able to do this. We have to work together to figure this out, which um, I agree would have been like a much more, I don't know, like accurate way to talk about some of the ways the world works for people with disabilities, right? Is like a lot of times the services that you need are not there <laughs> and like you have to figure out how to make it work. Um, so I feel like they're like taking some stabs at like trying to have some sort of weird representation in the show, but not in like, the, the, it's like, you're all, you're almost getting it right. You're like, you just need to flip one more page. And then... It feels like it lacks strategy a little bit, which is, a, which is somewhat disappointing and unusual for Star Trek. Right. Because what we, what we understand is Trek typically is saying something very deliberate about the world around us today, right? And so to your your points, both of your points, what we're missing is what are you what's your commentary? You brought in an, a, a character who is disabled. Great. We're we're Trekkie, so we're all for it, right? That you, you didn't surprise us, you didn't shock us. Like that's cool, right? That's who we are, right? We're very inclusive. Now, what we're looking for is for you to help us understand what are you challenging us on? What is the commentary around us that we're missing that where we go, aha, I missed this. I'm an idiot, right? You haven't, I haven't seen that yet, right? All I get is, you know, Himmer is someone who's going, I don't need your help. And I'm like, I got a buddy who tells me that all the time, right? From the time we were eight, he was like, I don't need your help. And I was like, okay. Right. So this is not nothing new. And so what I'm really to your point, Mariah, tell me something about services and what happens when services go out and what that means. Mm -hmm. Right. Tell me about something about how when a 
secondary sense that someone relies on is no longer available. Like really what that means. And what we got here was just, he needed help. Um, and so I, I see them going in that direction, but I'm going to push a little bit and say, give me more, G give me more challenge me. I'm ready for it. They're almost, yeah, they're getting closer, but they're just stepping back. Like you can see engineering itself is set up to be more accessible for the actor because all the spaces are flat, even and widely open, but nowhere on the ship, nowhere else on the ship is like that. Further, he had a line in the second episode, I believe, where he was like, if I was a human, I would be disabled, but I don't need help because I'm not a human. So they're not challenging any of the commonly held current stereotypes when it comes to disabled people. They're not quite going there yet. And I don't know what what's holding them back, really. For sure. Yeah, it's like it, it always feels like those like two step forward, like one step back situations because you're just like, oh, this is great. We finally have like an actually disabled actor playing a disabled character and like those sort of things that are important for media representation. But it's like if you're going to go to this point, why not take it the whole way forward and like talk? I, I feel like it's almost similar to like how. And I think we've seen it like on Discovery, like the representation of the LGBTQ community has gone like leaps and bounds in that series. And I think it's because they've taken the time to really listen to their performers who are actually a part of that community. It also helps that the showrunner is a part of that community, right? And so you get to see what that looks like when that community is truly like heard in how their storylines get to be portrayed. And so I'd hope that we eventually get there in Strange New Worlds too. Yeah, I, I, so they're talking in the chat um, in the chat, they're mentioning that some of his his abilities are telepathic. Um, I think in this, we need more. We need we need to understand Hammer a little bit more because it feels like I've walked into the middle of a conversation that I'm supposed to know some stuff about that I don't. Right? Because I think even I can't imagine what this is like for a Trek newbie. Right? Because as someone who I look at myself and when we first started this pod, I did not think that I was as entrenched into Trek nerddom as I, as I was, <laughs> but apparently I was. Um, and so to think about having seen every series, right. To think about the fact that I'm someone who's read books, played games. Like I, this is an area where I feel very comfortable. I'm extremely unfamiliar with Enars. Mm -hmm. Right. So this is this is not an archetype that we see a ton of. Um, and so for us to come in and you just start talking about, well, yeah, yeah. Like I, I I need a character who knows nothing about them and you educate that educate me through that character. And and I think that might help a little bit and set the stage as we talk about disabilities a little bit more. Um, but right now, I feel like I'm a little bit lost in understanding how he navigates this ship and does his job. Yeah. I'm hopeful because we seem to be getting like kind of a character backstory per episode that we're eventually going to get to his. And so, you know, I'm letting it sort of unfold as it is for now, but I do, um, I, I have higher hopes than what is normally delivered and I'm hoping I'm not disappointed. <laughs> so, um, we will see. Um, I did think, yeah, because it's like truly the scenes between Hemmer and Ahura, I think, service more of Ahura's like personal journey in this particular episode, which I do enjoy because she's a cadet. She is also similar to how Ortega's on the bridge is sort of like this audience surrogate in like taking us through different departments and learning about the ship and like figuring out all of these processes. And so I, I'm enjoying that part of her journey um, so far. Agreed. Yeah. Um, again, I just she, she's like a super cadet and like a super audience member. Mm -hmm. um, and so I kind of yeah, need the, the smartest of the audience members. Yes. <laughs> like, like, like I, 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 I need a red shirt who's a little dumber for me. <laughs> that's what I need. Right. I, I need somebody on the bridge crew that's always asking questions and they're always explaining stuff to not, maybe not everything, but uh, more than they are. Like, yeah. Where's Samuel Kirk? Yeah. He feels like a perfect, like himbo <laughs> character to come and ask a lot of questions. <laughs> he, I, I'm, it's interesting to see what they're doing or not doing with him. Like you introduce him, then you don't see him and then he shows up and he's a 
dork <laughs> like and then and then you don't see him again it's um it's the biggest kind of nod to we fooled you <laughs> and and name recognition doesn't mean anything that it's hilarious to me i know um, i was kind I of mean more of them Oh, yeah. I was kind of hoping he'd be that character that's always getting like knocked out on every mission, like very early on in episodes. It's just sort of like a weird recurring joke, but that might be a little too TOS slapsticky for this show. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I could go for it happening a few more times. At, at least one more time, right? It would be nice. Mm -hmm. um, what did. Um, I'm trying to think about, oh, I, I did want to circle back to, we had that hot freak earlier about how this era of Trek sort of treats the concept of like the red shirt death, right? Like getting red shirted, which I've been using as a verb <laughs> lately um, and how we do get more reverence from this series. I appreciated, you know, they sort of opened with this concept of, of, of their Memorial day, right. Where they're honoring the loss of other people who've come before them. And then they also take a moment at the very end of the episode to sort of honor those that were lost on this particular mission. And so um, I wanted to see what y'all thought about how they're treating, you know, sort of these off screen deaths of, of crew in this, in this era. So I, I, I want to say, now I, I know that this, this is a, this will be a podcast. And so someone may be listening to this um, and not have contacts for for the the week that we have had mm. um so if, as reference there's been a, a another tragedy where there's been a loss of life at a school this week um i bring that up because what this episode and this episode was done long before this happened so it wasn't a, a, it wasn't in reference to that to your point mariah for a long time there've been books their jokes, this red, the red shirts, you know, this, these characters dying. And what I honestly think is it's made it a little bit funny. We joke about it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I've joked about it on this podcast a few minutes ago. Um, and, and it, what we do when we do that, we're very flippant about the loss of life. And it feels like this episode in particular has said, look, we're not going to be that flippant. We're not going to be that, um, honestly disrespectful about people characters individuals who have a loss of life and this is really the first time that we've seen you know coffins and celebration and uh, and funeral rites for characters who we don't even know right because if you think about it, a lot of times the red shirt dies we never we never mm -hmm. hear talk or see them again and this is a situation where they said, first of all, we're not going to we're not going to categorize them as that. You're not going to be able to just look and go, OK, that, you know, up. you know, you've got Leon, Una, Uhura and random character number four. That's the person who's not going to make it back to the ship. They've they've done some nuances and they have been very respectful about how death is handled on this on the show. Um, and it's forcing me to to it's challenging me around how I talk about and treat death in the Star Trek universe. Yeah. I mean, that was really lovingly put Clyde. I appreciate that. Um, and I think, you know, Keen always with the good takes, um, as Chippy mentioned in the watch along, apparently in our Slack, um, it's appropriate. This has aired right before Memorial day. Um, and, you know, I don't think they always plan it, but that was definitely like if someone was looking at the calendar and said, this is where this episode goes, they definitely they, they picked correctly. And um, Mr. Joseph 45 says they actually care about the unnamed crew members. Um, yeah, I think it's a nice change up. I do think we watch a lot of film and television that just like kills a lot of people all the time and it's not always treated like it truly is uh, a death. And so I think after um, a week like this week, especially uh, here in Texas, for sure, it's, it was, um, I don't want to say nice. That's not the right word, but it, it felt uh, appropriate to appropriate. see that level of respect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Given Consider to it and thoughtful. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think this is the first of the live action modern tracks that's doing that. Like, 
Picard and Discovery, as much as I love them, have been very casual about killing people, especially about building them up a little bit in an episode just to kill them off. And so for Strange New Worlds to take this different tack, I appreciate it. It gives more value to the characters' lives. It gives more value to the stories they're telling. Yeah, and I think there is that that line exchange between um, Spock and and Pike, where you know he has to make the call to close the hatches, um, and uh, you know they they lose someone, and uh, you know Spock's like you you made the logical choice and pike's like well it doesn't feel like it was and he's like because you you do value life and that's why all of us are still here and um you know i think that was it's definitely something they've they've peppered into this particular episode for sure is that is that understanding that this is a trek that's treating it much differently i agree yeah um well, we're almost out of time, but I did want to ask y'all one uh, kind of final wrap-up question. And if you have other questions or comments, folks, in the chat, this is now the time. Drop them in. We'll take a peek at those in a second. Um, but what do you want the Gorn to look like uh, if we ever get to see them? What, what, what would be your idealized sort of way that the Gorn is revealed and what could they possibly look like? Look, I, I feel like I've seen just enough. Um, I'm expecting them to look like. Um, so I feel like I, when I think about that, they look like a dinosaur to me. Um, but rather than a 1970s dinosaur, I'm expecting them to look like something out of Jurassic Park a bit. A more slender than maybe bulky. A bit of a velociraptor with... Um, a humanoid characteristics. Um, that's kind of what I'm looking at. Something that's, that's more terrifying than comical, mm -hmm. right? It, it is less Lou Ferrigno, incredible Hulk, right? And more, you know, 2022 Velociraptor, right? Like I am legitimately afraid of that thing. Like I almost am expecting to have nightmares after we, we see them. I don't know if you're familiar with Mass Effect at all, but something um, along the lines of the Turians, who are very avian, very kind of Velociraptor-like. Yeah. I used to work at Electronic Arts. I'm a huge Mass Effect fan. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's somewhere it like interesting. It's going to be interesting. Do y'all remember? I think it's an X Men movie. There's the one who's like uh, an alligator type character, right? Isn't there one? Yes. Yes. Was it like? Croc killer. Yes. Croc or uh, yeah. That's is that is that Marvel? Oh, that might be DC. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they do have reptoid like characters. You guys are just yeah. bringing out all of my nerddom. Like, <laughs> no one. I, no one's it's, gonna want to talk killer killer Croc is who I'm okay. thinking of. Yeah. Um. I'm picturing like an IRL killer Croc is like where I think I'm going in my, in my mind, you know, instead of the croc face though, like you're saying, Clyde, it's going to be that like velociraptory type mm -hmm. of thing. It'll also be interesting if we get to see, because lower decks has introduced um, the Goron before. And like um, we see both male and female Gorns and like, they definitely have different body shapes and body types and like all of that kind of stuff. So I think, um, I think that's going to be interesting. Anyway, I always love when Lower Decks makes something canon and everyone has to deal with it. <laughs> it's my favorite. <laughs> um, King in the chat is suggesting maybe a Krogan. And there's actually a creature in Mass Effect that's kind of a combination of Krogan and Turian. They're a brute, the enemy twisted by the Reapers. So that would be interesting. Like yeah. a thicker, more powerful reptile. Mm. Very exciting. Well, we shall see. Next week's episode also looks fun. If y'all checked out a preview, um, I think we get a little more Spock backstory next up, which I think will be super fun and exciting. Um, and we get to see some more of um, T'Pring, who I am excited to see more of. I don't know if y'all are, um, if uh, Keyless, if you're a drag person, but uh, Jackie Cox just did a really great um, drag uh 
outfit based on to praying and it looks really awesome on Instagram. <laughs> uh, so if that's up your alley, highly recommend it. Um, but yeah, I think any, any other final thoughts, feelings, things you wanted to chat about this particular episode? Not for me. I'm loving it. Can't wait for more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm really loving it. I still think they have a lot to cover as far as disability. They haven't really tried yet and I want to see them trying since they're bringing it in so much to the forefront, but going to see. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Well, thank you, uh, Kilis, for joining us tonight. We really enjoyed having you as part of the discussion and, and bringing your insights into uh, this particular episode. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, they can find me at Tight on the Deer on Twitter. You can also find me on Patreon at Jahi Creates. I do a writing Patreon there. And yeah. Awesome. Uh, you can find me online. I'm at Mariah Gossett. Uh, Clyde, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me right here at Clyde Haynes. Awesome. And you can visit StarTrekPod.co for links to our Patreon, links to find the audio and video versions of this podcast. We will see you again next Thursday night for another live episode covering Strange New Worlds. Uh, and we shall keep this trucking. But that's it for tonight, y'all. Thank you so much. Live long and prosper. Bye.